From Upstate Medical University, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. We have with us today Dr. Katherine Scott. She's an assistant professor of pediatrics, and she works in hematology and oncology. She's also the director of the Pediatric Sickle Cell Program at the Waters Center for Children's Cancer and Blood Disorders here at Upstate. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me. So how does a person find out they have sickle cell disease? So here in New York State, we have a test for sickle cell disease that's part of the newborn screen. This is a blood test that every infant uh, has in the first few days of life with a heel stick at the hospital. Okay. So that's, you find every, all, all of the babies get tested, so they all are referred to you automatically. Exactly. Yep. This Department of Health for New York State contacts my office and the child's pediatrician informing them of the positive sickle cell test result, and um, we get them in for a new consult within the first few months of life. So who gets sickle cell? What types of uh, patients are you seeing? Well, sickle cell disease primarily affects children of African and Caribbean descent and, to a lesser degree, children of Middle Eastern and Indian descent. It's a common inherited blood disorder in those populations. Why do they call it sickle? Well, they call it sickle cell disease because normal red blood cells and those that are not affected um, with sickle cell disease, their normal red blood cells are flexible and in an oval shape. Um, individuals with sickle cell disease, their red blood cells uh, change shape into a C shape, which resembles the farming tool called the sickle. So that's where the name comes from. Okay. And so they lose the flexibility too when they change shape? Exactly. Sickle, in sickle cell disease, the red blood cells become stiff and fragile, and they stick together, leading to blockages in blood flow in the small blood vessels. And they only live about 14 days, whereas regular normal red blood cells tend to last up to 120 days. Oh. What, uh, what sorts of symptoms do uh, patients get if, if they have sickle cell disease? What are the symptoms? So the um, inflexible stiff red blood cells and the lack of blood flow in the small blood vessels leads to a decrease in the ability of the blood to transport oxygen. Um, and this uh, leads to anemia and pain, organ dysfunction, and other serious life-threatening complications. Uh, these symptoms do not typically start until the infant is at least six months of age. Oh, okay. So the babies that are first born don't have symptoms yet. No, not typically. Mm -hmm. Okay. You mentioned complications. What are some of the most common of the complications that you see? So early on, starting around six months of age, one of the most common ways infants um, show their disease is with um, pain and swelling in their hands and feet. This is something called dactylitis. And oftentimes we have to bring them into the hospital and give them IV hydration and pain control. Um, also, early on, one of the organs to be affected first is the spleen. Um, that's an organ in the belly that is a filter for all of the blood. And in sickle cell, that filter, the spleen, can become clogged and cause something called splenic sequestration. And that uh, is also an indication for the child to get admitted to the hospital and perhaps require a blood transfusion. Later on in um, the lifespan of a child with sickle cell disease, they can have things such as sickle cell pneumonia that we call acute chest syndrome, which requires inpatient management, including hydration, IV antibiotics, and occasionally a blood transfusion. Um, and in addition, they are at risk, unfortunately, for stroke um, and infection early on. Wow. Are there... Um Treatment, I mean, those are treatments that you would give when someone has complications, but are there treatments or therapies that people with sickle cell have to take every day just as a kind of a maintenance 
drug or something? Absolutely. So when the child first gets referred to me, again, I see them in the first few months of life. Um, the first thing I do is start them immediately on penicillin. So that's an oral antibiotic that they take twice a day every day for the first five years of life. Um, and this dramatically reduces the infection rates and death rates of children with sickle cell disease because of the um, organ dysfunction in the spleen that I mentioned, um, you're at risk for life-threatening bacterial infections and the penicillin can reduce those rates of infection and death dramatically. In addition, around nine months of age, we start them on hydroxyurea. This is an oral medication taken once a day um, and they are on it indefinitely as of now um, from nine months until uh, we come up with something better or new and that is a medicine that um, helps the body produce a different kind of hemoglobin, no longer sickled hemoglobin, but um, a hemoglobin called fetal hemoglobin. And this decreases the rates of sickle cell complications dramatically. Oh, neat. But it's not a cure. But... It's not a cure, no. There are some potential cures for sickle cell disease. Um, one of them is called a stem cell transplant. Oh. And um, that's done at big academic centers throughout the country and the world. Um, it's a potential cure. Sometimes it doesn't work, and there are some um, risks to that procedure. Um, which so a stem cell transplant is a is a blood where you explain what that is. Stem cell transplant is where you basically take the bone marrow um, contents, which are your stem cells in everybody's body. You get rid of the patient's bone marrow contents, and you transplant a donor's bone marrow contents and their stem cells, and that. Uh, part of their stem cells can turn into red blood cells, and therefore the donor who doesn't have sickle cell will give their normal red blood cells to the sickle cell patient, and it's therefore a cure. Does it have to be a, a donor who matches your blood type, or can... There are several genetic markers um, called HLA markers that we do need to match between donor and recipient in order for the stem cell transplant to be successful. And sometimes it can be difficult to find the appropriate match, which limits our ability to use this therapy. Okay, so it's not for every patient? Not for, for everybody. Mm -hmm. The best donor is a matched sibling donor, and not every patient with sickle cell disease has a matched sibling, sibling donor. Okay. Well, interesting. Um, this is Upstate's Health Link on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking with Dr. Katherine Scott. She's the director of the Sickle Cell Program at Upstate. Well, does um, sickle cell disease necessarily shorten someone's lifespan? Um, it does right now. It, uh, the lifespan of individuals with sickle cell disease is much longer now than it used to be. Um, we generally say the average lifespan for an individual with sickle cell disease these days is somewhere in their 50s. Okay, and it used to be much less. It used to be much younger, absolutely. And the reason that we're, we've been successful in prolonging life with sickle cell disease is because of penicillin, as I mentioned, in the first five years of life. That used to take a lot of children um, from infection early on. And then in addition, we have much improved supportive care, including the hydroxyurea that I mentioned and um, transfusions and better hospital care. Interesting. Do we know what causes sickle cell? Well, yep, mm -hmm. sickle cell is an inherited blood disorder. It's from a single point mutation in the gene that makes part of hemoglobin. Okay, so you get it from your parents? Mm -hmm. It your... is an inherited disorder, absolutely. So do both parents have it in order for the baby to get it? or? So both parents need at least to be a sickle cell trait, which is a carrier state, um, uh, or one of the parents can have sickle cell, one or both can have sickle cell disease. 
would parents necessarily know that they have the trait before they have children? Oftentimes, no, not in this uh, age, because the newborn screen that diagnoses all newborns now that we talked about before was not uh, available when most of my patients' parents were born. Um, So many of them don't actually know that. Um, But um, through simple testing, we can help them identify that. Okay. Now, nowadays we can. Now, yes. Well, what do you say to people who are... um, newly diagnosed or the parents of a baby who's newly diagnosed, what, what sort of life can they expect? I mean, what, what's life like with sickle cell in 2017? I usually get paint a very positive picture because honestly, with penicillin and hydroxyurea at our disposal, most of my young patients grow up um, with a good quality of life. So as long as they're able to come to their appointments, have routine blood work, and take their medications on time, um, I usually tell families that their children should lead a full and normal life, develop normally as they would have expected. Um, And uh, what I actually tell most families of newborns these days is that I believe in their child's lifetime there will be a safe cure for sickle cell. So they just need to get through the healthcare now. Childhood and... Exactly, and wait for the true cure, which has less um, side effects than stem cell transplant or even something like gene, uh, gene therapy. So, yeah, what, what, ty- what type of cure do you envision? I do think it's going to be something along the lines of gene therapy. So stem cell transplant is one thing, but um, slightly related to that but different is something called gene therapy, and this is where researchers... Um, have discovered certain genes that they can introduce into the patient uh, with sickle cell to change the way that they make hemoglobin. Um, And this is very promising and currently only available in the um, setting of a research trial. But soon I believe that it will be more uh, widely available to all patients, and this this is a promising direction. So it is showing promise. Absolutely. Neat. How did you get involved? I know you're a pediatrician first, right? How did you get involved in sickle cell disease? Um, so, <laughs> I, you know, I did medical school, chose pediatrics after medical school, and then throughout my pediatric residency after graduating from medical school, um, I took a very early interest in pediatric hematology and oncology, which is the specialty that I'm now in. Um, however, hematology and oncology are very different in many ways, and I um, leaned much more towards the hematology side, and one of the biggest uh, components of pediatric hematology is sickle cell disease. Um, And it's also a group that, um, frankly, is underserved. And I wanted to help as many people as possible. Well, uh, here in the Syracuse area, all of the sickle cell patients come to Upstate. This is the only sickle cell program in this region, right? Absolutely. Yep. The nearest other centers are uh, in Rochester or Buffalo. Um, some people may have seen sickle cell depicted on television or in a movie, um, this sickle cell crisis where someone's in pain. Um, is that accurately depicted um, typically, and, and what is that? Does that really happen? 
So when people say sickle cell crisis, they're typically referring, as you said, to a sickle cell pain episode. Um, this is when those sickled red blood cells stick together, limit blood flow, and therefore cause pain as the cells die from lack of blood flow. So is that pain in the whole body, or where, where is it? Where do you feel it? It can be in the whole body, but usually patients have particular trigger areas in their body where they always experience their pain, um, whether it's in their arms or their legs or their lower back. Okay. Headaches? It's not a, or it is? Um, yeah, well, you can have sickling in any blood vessel that leads to pain in whatever tissues are connected to those blood vessels. Um, headaches make me worry a little more about stroke and other complications of sickle cell other than pain, but certainly my patients can have headaches as well. Um, no matter where their pain is coming from, um, what I hope for them is that they uh, are prepared and to prepare my patients as soon as I meet them uh, I give them a basically a pain action plan and this is a magnet that I print out and give to them and they put on the refrigerator hopefully uh, and it, it it goes over their pain plan and this is every day what should you be doing for your disease and then when you have mild pain what medicines do you start to take and what do you change uh, and then moderate pain plan, and then a severe pain plan. And if it gets to severe pain, what we always encourage them to do is call our clinic um, or go directly to the ER. And our patients are very good at understanding what kind of pain can come to clinic versus what kind of pain requires emergency medical care. Are there things that can be done to um, help the pain? I mean, what are some of the things that they're told to do? So typically my mild pain plan for most of my patients, depending on their age, uh, number one, first and foremost, is to increase their hydration. Uh, a lot of Drink times more pain, water. Exactly. A lot of times pain comes from dehydration. The blood becomes slightly thicker and therefore can sickle more easily. Um, and they need to drink more water. I actually give them an ounces goal for the day when they're experiencing mild pain based on their weight. Um, the second thing is to apply heat to the area. So we're distributing heating pads to all of my patients through a charity fund, and they need to apply that heating pad to the areas that are in pain um, immediately, and I usually say 20 minutes on, 20 minutes off as needed. Um, and then <clears throat> they should immediately also take um, one dose of ibuprofen or Motrin, and that helps decrease the inflammation related to sickle cell. That's my mild pain plan. Uh, and then if it, the pain continues, we start, we recommend taking Motrin around the clock, as well as adding in a secondary pain medication. And this varies between patients, but is usually in the form of a um, mild narcotic. Um, and then if there's severe pain, we continue to encourage good hydration, heat, Motrin, their pain medicine, and um, seeking care, whether it's in our clinic or in the ER. So does this, uh, the sickle cell crisis, does that necessarily happen to everyone? Uh, it doesn't. Um, surprisingly, even though everyone with sickle cell disease should have the same genetic mutation yielding the disease, there is great variation in how they show their symptoms throughout their life. And that is something that we don't fully understand, why there's a difference uh, in symptoms between patients that should have the same genetics. Um, wow. And as we understand that further, I think we'll uncover more and more promising medical therapies for this disease. Well, thank you for talking about this with me. My guest has been Dr. Katherine Scott. She's the director of the Sickle Cell Program at Upstate. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.